Okay, we're going to turn to uh, the passage that uh, we read together in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, particularly the section <clears throat> about the ten lepers. Now, I realize that the, for the kids, the, the, the worksheet might be a bit simplistic for some of the older kids, okay? So, if you want to write an essay, that's fine. Uh, uh, just write over the colored bit, okay? Um, but for some of the kids, it might be okay uh, today. It's just some questions and, and some things to color in. But I want particularly to think about the, uh, the, the event that happened when Jesus was going towards Jerusalem with the cleansing of the lepers. Um, ten lepers were cleansed by Jesus, and one comes back, okay? Now, we, we live in a land of plenty, don't we? Uh, we have really everything that we need. We have cold, fresh water. We have warm homes. You've all come from homes where you've got food in the cupboards, clothes are plenty, and uh, maybe even more so now following Christmas and the presents that you got at Christmas time. And there is a danger for us when we have, because, you know, it's all relative in, in some ways. Maybe sometimes we don't think that's the case, but we're in whatever it is, the top point something percent of rich people in the, in the world uh, here in, in Scotland and in, in the UK. And the danger is maybe that we take our wealth and our provisions and the things that we've got for granted, and that we're ungrateful for them. Uh, I always kind of laugh, I do, sometimes laughing, it's a kind of, uh, it's a laugh and it's a bit of a cry sometimes uh, when you've been framed as on this time of year. As, you know, guys my age, like you've been framed, it's kind of nice and harmless, and there's lots of uh, funny videos from people that have sent them in. And that Christmas one's always a bit boring because it's always about Christmas trees falling over with cats jumping on them and things like that. But there's always a kind of funny but sad one when a little child gets this big present and he's excited and he's really looking forward to it, and he rips it open, and it's a woolly jumper. And he kind of just throws it on the ground and stomps off in a rage, you know, and really angry that that's not what they were wanting, a toy, something or other, and they weren't wanting a woolly jumper, and they just stamp their feet and they walk out of the room. It's quite funny, but it's also quite sad, isn't it? I tell you, it wouldn't have happened in our house. Even if they thought it, it wouldn't have happened, because we should be grateful for what we received. And it's a mark of ingratitude, isn't it, in, in our children when they grow up to to, or, or when they're children and they receive something like that, and they're ungrateful and they throw it aside as, as absolutely what they not wanted. G.K. Chesterton, a great philosopher and theologian, or at least Christian, uh, said, I would maintain that thanks is one of the highest forms of thought, and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. It's a great phrase, isn't it? That gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. And I think at the end of the year, it's good for us as believers, as Christians, uh, to remember with great gratitude all that we've been given spiritually, uh, what we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have by faith, both the temporal, the ordinary things that we have, and also the spiritual gifts that we have received. Uh, it's very easy for us to regard our faith and uh, our commitment to Christ and to church and to the knowledge of the gospel as very ordinary and plain, a bit dull. This is an exciting time of year. There's lots happening, 
And well, the Christian side of it's all a bit dull for us, and we, we cast aside prayer for the, the routine of prayer and Bible reading and, and even church because it's all a bit ordinary and we want to do something different. And there can be in us a lack of gratitude because we've stopped being thankful and having gratitude, which is doubled by wonder. I often feel that, in, certainly in my Christianity, the wonder has gone from my relationship with uh, the living God. Stop looking for the wonder and the amazement and the majesty and the beauty of belonging to uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So, we have this story of the ten lepers uh, as a great indication of what God is wanting us to think about and how God thinks uh, and how Jesus responds to a lack of thanksgiving. So, there was these ten guys. This is not a parable, and that's important to remember. It's not a parable. It's a, a real event that uh, Jesus is involved in healing uh, these guys. We know that there was other parables uh, that told stories, but this is a real story that Jesus uh, was involved in as He was moving towards Jerusalem. Leprosy was a desperate disease. Uh, we maybe have lost sight of that today because it's almost been eradicated, although I do believe it's, it's coming back into uh, uh, the world uh, in, in different places. But it's a, it's a desperate disease that just eats away at your body in many ways. And in the ancient Near East, it was a disease that led to great isolation. There was no cure for it. Uh, they were regarded as anyone who was a leper was regarded as unclean. You know, we, we've we've taken that into our vocabulary. So, you know, if you're a leper, uh, someone who is ostracized, who's outside, who is uh, unclean. And they had no hope, really. And there was no, uh, there was nothing to support them. They just had to beg uh, for their lives. And in this story, Jesus, on His way to Jerusalem, was uh, going through Samaria and Galilee. And he stood, there was ten lepers, and they stood at a distance and lifted their voice, saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. We don't know anything about their background. We don't know how they knew about Jesus, they knew, but they did know about Jesus. They, they had maybe heard of other lepers who'd been healed, or other people who'd been cured, or people who uh, had uh, met or heard his teaching. And it's interesting, isn't it? that all they do is they cry for mercy. At this point, they, they don't even ask for healing. It's not like the blind sometimes who ask, please, I want to be healed. I want to be able to see. I'm sure that was in their thinking. I'm sure that was what was in their minds and their hearts. But they simply cry out, for mer have mercy on us, Jesus. Have mercy. Because their position was pitiable. And they, they longed for somebody, somebody like Jesus, who they'd heard about, to have mercy, to have pity on them. And so, we find that Jesus simply gives them a command. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, they would have known what that meant. We sometimes wonder, well, why did He say that? Because when a, when a leper did receive healing miraculously. And I guess in, in some instances, presumably, they were healed in other ways. But when, when, they, when they were healed, they had to go to the priest to be declared clean. 
because they were unclean. And the priest uh, was able to tell whether the leprosy had been cured and was able to grant them a, a bill of health from the priest. And the, it's, a, it's a really interesting story because we're told that that's what Jesus says. And it just then says, as they went, they were cleansed, just as they were going. So they went to the priest in obedience to Jesus' command, and as they were going, they were cleansed. So as they were walking towards the priest to get the, what they presumed would have been a bill of health, presumably they went in faith, obeying Jesus' command, but they were healed as they went out in obedience. And that's, that's, that's a great mark of the power and of uh, the miraculous healing that Jesus was able to do. And we're told that one of them, immediately, one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave thanks, and he was a Samaritan. One returned immediately. I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But take note also that it was a Samaritan that returned. We're not sure of the ethnic background of all the others. The presumption is that they were Jews. Now, this guy was a Samaritan who was doubly ostracized. He was doubly on the outside in that society. He was the most rejected, but he was the most thankful. And he immediately returns back to Jesus. Now, I believe that the major teaching of this uh, passage here uh, is the importance of thanksgiving. The, the, where it's placed in the, in the chapter, and we'll look at that in a moment, uh, it's in the context of the need for healing in our lives and the need for God's mercy and the reality of being made well by God spiritually as believers, the importance of expressed, committed gratitude. Jesus speaks into this situation. He heals, and one returns with thanks, thankfulness and Jesus speaks into that, because I think what we have here is a little unpacking of Jesus' mind when He is involved in this. There's, there's physical, mental, and spiritual energy has been given out by Jesus Christ in this healing, and uh, He sees the guys going off, and uh, they're healed by Him, uh, and one of them returns. And then Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where's, where's everyone else? What, was no one found to return and praise God except this, this foreigner? Or, or to give God the glory? Could be translated. And he said to him, Rise up, go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's really interesting words. But the, the interesting theme here is that Christ can't hide his disappointment. Christ can't hide his disappointment that only one came back. He knew they were going to be healed. And it wasn't a kind of selfish peak. Oh, I've done this great miracle. Now I'm come back. It's not that he's kind of hurt in a, the way that we sometimes are hurt when people don't return thanks to us. But he's disappointed because 
of what he has done has been for, for God and for the glory of God, and was no one, no one found to return here to praise God, for what, to give glory to God as a matter of urgency? See, it's very interesting because the context of this passage and of the passages around about it is, the, is Jesus speaking into the lives of the, the Jewish leaders of the day and the Jewish people and their response to Christ. They had all the privileges, they had all the blessings, they had all the background covenant of the Old Testament, and yet they didn't love Christ and serve Christ and thank Christ. They rejected Him, and that's very much the background. But he's walking up to Jerusalem. He's going to go there to be crucified. The other nine, who the presumption is that they were Jewish rather than the Samaritan, the other nine were more concerned about going forward to the priest and all that that represented for them as a culture, as a religious people, than coming back immediately to thank Christ. You see, going to the priest was for them, it was the, it was the, um, the golden nugget it was, the, it, was, it was the bonanza, it was the bingo for them to go to the priest, because if they went to the priest and were declared clean, they were no longer ostracized. They were accepted within their religion, they were accepted within their community, and what, therefore what we see is they were more concerned with the horizontal benefits that the healing brought than the vertical thanks to God. They were more concerned that all of the benefits of being healed would bring to them in their community, in their culture, in their family. And, and that's not a bad thing, but it is if it trumps Christ, if it trumps God, if God is relegated and ignored as a result. There was so much reason for them not just to give thanks or not just to go to the priest to be made clean or to be declared clean, but to give thanks uh, to God. They were cleansed from their leprosy. They'd been shown amazing mercy by Jesus Christ. The interesting question is, which I can't answer, but which you may have asked, or you may not have, <laughs> dependent on uh, the way your mind works, uh, were they healed spiritually? Or was only the one who came back brought into relationship with Christ? They were all healed physically. They all did do what they were asked at one level, but none of them returned back. And it's interesting that Jesus says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Uh, and that's a, that's a different word from being made clean. Uh, the root of, of that word for being made well is, is you've been saved. You've been delivered. Uh, it's ordinarily used of God uh, rescuing people from their sin. So it does seem that there, there is a little evidence in the text that, that potentially this guy was the only one who really understood things. And uh, while the others received a physical healing, that he received both a physical and that shalom, that wellness that Jesus alone can bring. Christ can't hide his disappointment. Um, and the question is for us, you know, for ourselves, you know, this morning, do we give glory to God for our, for our health, for our family, for our community? Who gets the glory in our lives? Who's the one we look to and give thanks for our breath this morning, for the ability to put on our clothes, to come here, to go from here, 
to do whatever we will do. Does God give the glory? Do we praise and thank Him for every iota of life that we receive? Or is it so often for us when our prayers are answered uh, that we forget to come back to God and give thanks to Him for the answers He's given us? We only need Him, in other words, when we need Him. He's the fourth emergency service. He's the one we go to when we're in desperate need, but the rest of the time, we just walk away healed, thankless, silent before Him. That is the great challenge, isn't it, and the great temptation for us, for each of us. And in terms of our priority in lives, it's easy for our priority to be the vertical relationships we have, the acceptance in our culture, in our community, even in our church. You know, God forbid it can be the case that we can matter more about the congregation than about Jesus, being accepted in church, being part of the church, being declared uh, a member, whatever it might be, is, is our standing, our horizontal standing with others more significant than our vertical relationship of giving glory and praise to God? Is there disappointment in the voice of Jesus when He says, well, where are you? When did you, when did you last come back and prayer and thanksgiving, but for all I've given you today, for all you received, did you thank me? I realized that in a very uh, sobering way this week when I got a text. Well, I was up north and I got a text, or not a text, and it was an email. I was checking my emails. Bad. And I'm on holiday. Shouldn't do it. But anyway, it was an email from a uh, contact that we have in, in one of the churches, one of the churches that supports uh, Esk Valley, particularly Orlando Church in Florida. And it was an email from their missions director um, saying they were giving us hundred another £110,000 uh, for church planting in Esk Valley and Haddington and for a mission to support a missions director in some kind of way. And I was gobsmacked and thrilled and excited, and I texted people and I passed it on. And, and it wasn't until this morning I thought, I didn't even pray and give thanks to God. And I've prayed all year that God would show that He wants us to move forward, He wants us to carry on this work, that we're doing His will, and we receive more than the gratitude and grace that we ever deserve forget to give thanks. Sobering reality and a recognition of the selfishness that lies very much in my heart. But we see also in this passage, just briefly, that gratitude reflects, always reflects a true understanding of grace. Because the context always matters. Did you notice the, uh, uh, the reflection from this morning from Tim Keller? on your uh, bulletin sheet. It's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Uh, gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. And the two are linked together. So, the, the, the thankfulness of our heart reflect, is reflected, uh, is reflective of our understanding of grace and also of our life of obedience to Christ. Because our life of obedience reflects a thankful heart, you know? That, that's, that's 
that's the, that's the formula, if we can speak about it in that. If, if we are thankful, that's reflected in the way that we live our lives. And we see that in the context of the chapter. You know, Luke puts this, part, this story of thanksgiving in the context of, of how we live our lives. And it's, there's different ways. At the beginning, verses 1 to 3, it's, it's by watching how we live. If we are thankful to Jesus for what He has done for us, then He says, be careful how you live among other people. He says, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one who through me come. It would be better from a millstone were hung around his neck than cast his heat than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So in the context of the gospel community and our lives as Christians, if we are causing other people, it's a very unfashionable thought today. We're all very cool and individualistic in many ways, but it, and it's very unfashionable to speak about living our lives in such a way that is controlled so that we don't cause other people to sin. But hey, I've got freedom. I can do whatever I like. I can do this and that and the next thing. And if they take offense, then that's just because they're just jerks. Well, that's not how we're to think in Christ. In Christ, we're to recognize and with thankfulness recognize how He has changed us, therefore, and His patience with us, therefore our patience with living with others and our carefulness about how we interact, especially as, can I say, especially as grown-ups with children among the young who causes one of these little ones to sin, or as mature Christians with Christians who have just come to faith, that we have to, we have to lead them in a godly place and in a godly way. And if we if we don't, we seek forgiveness for that, and uh, we look to change our own lives. And within that, we, if we are thankful for what grace has done for us, we, are, we, are, we forgive beyond reason. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Sins seven times, forgive him seven times. And this, speak, this speaks about an openness within the community, doesn't it, that we're willing to uh, uh, speak to one another about sins and be forgiven and forgive. You know, if we, if we are thankful and recognize how much we have been forgiven, the immeasurable patience of the living God towards us daily, then we take that forgiving spirit into the church. Isn't it sad that sometimes the church is the most unforgiving place in the community? It's the harshest place. It's the place where people sit and think they're God and want to judge other people. But God's on my side. I know what's right. So I judge you. But shouldn't it be the most forgiving and gracious and kind place in the universe? We forgive beyond reason when we are thankful in our hearts. But also that thankfulness recognizes the impossibility of faith. He speaks there about the disciples saying, well, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as size of a grain of mustard seed, you would say, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's a recognition that not only is the life of faith impossible, but that He provides us with the ability to live that life of faith, and that's a great reason for thanksgiving. What He's asking us, He's asking you to do, asking me to do, to be a forgiving and gracious and kind person, it's impossible to our natural minds sometimes, because sometimes we love to harbor a sense of injustice and unfairness in our hearts. And we think, I can't possibly forgive that person. And he says, well, actually, you can, because I, I, I 
command you to do the impossible, but I provide you with the ability, the indwelling Spirit, to uh, do that. We're not alone. You know what it's like when you're asked to do something impossible to, for you, and you can't do it? Maybe it's wood turning, or maybe it's working a computer, or that's, that's me, working a computer. So, what I do, I ask Ali to come in, you know, and he helps me. I ask a wood turner to come, and they show me uh, what to do. Uh, uh, they come alongside, and they help. And it's greater than that for the Christian. Is it's the Holy Spirit actually empowers us. He, he's the counselor who comes alongside, but He actually empowers us to do the impossible, to be like Jesus. We are asked to be like Jesus. And that thankfulness is also what gives us a servant spirit. In passage, in chapters, uh, verses 7, it speaks about the servant and having a servant spirit. It's kind of alien to our uh, understanding and our culture to talk about a servant and a servant spirit, because we don't have servants. <clears throat> I'm going to say nothing. But we are to have a servant spirit. You know, I think it's what Jesus is trying to get across here is that if we have a lack of thankfulness, it's because we have a different expectation of God. We really, we expect God to be thanking us, that He's indebted to us. Well, look, God, it's the 30th of December, and I got up for church for 11. And you should be really grateful, God, and thankful that I'm so committed, and I've done that. Thank you. Please say thank you, God, to me, because of, of what I've done. And you should be grateful for all I do for you, how much I give, and how much I read, and how much knowledge I've got. Are you thankful to me, God, for all of these things? Are you going to jump to my tune? No, I know that's I'm exaggerating. But sometimes that's how we see God in that place. We don't see Him as God and the one to whom ultimately, when we've done our very best in Christ at the end of our lives, we can only say, well, we're only unworthy servants. You've given us everything, and you're God. And the amazing thing is, when we see God as God of the New Testament, of the Bible, paradoxically, we recognize Him as the great God who actually came to serve, who Himself became a servant, who washed the disciples' feet, who died in the cross. And that is what enables us to have a servant spirit, because He's not this kind of distant, iconic figure that we fear with fear rather than with awe, who is unattainable and, and far from us, demanding. He's rather this God who came and emptied Himself and became a servant. And that when we have the gratitude to recognize that, then it helps us to have a servant spirit ourselves with others, seeing the beauty of grace and God. And it also, lastly, challenges our, our small-mindedness. Jesus interestingly points to this fact that uh, at the end of the story, of the, or at the end of the of account of the ten lepers, He said that ten cleansed, only nine was, was only one found this Samaritan. 
And that's very interesting because Christ was living and preaching in the context of religious pride and a perceived theological superiority and a cultural insularity against Samaritans and against other Gentiles in general, but Samaritans in particular. In the next chapter, chapter 18 and verse 11, he highlights that again. Good teacher. Uh, uh, the far, sorry, in verse 9, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee standing beside uh, the tax collector and saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week. So there's a bit of humor in that, that God is, is giving us this amazing sort of contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector here. And he's highlighting this continual pride and thanklessness. They were thankful, but for the wrong reasons. They were saying, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people. That's not, what he, that's not the kind of thankfulness he's looking for, us, looking for from us. It, thankful for all the wrong reasons, a complete misunderstanding of grace and of our own hearts and of the amazing gentleness and grace of God. So the, the miracle here was very much a sign that the gospel and grace was to the Gentiles and not just to the Jews. The grace of God was for the outsider. The Samaritan leper, there was no one who was more on the… He was the very worst outsider religiously and culturally and socially uh, and medically in every other way. And we praise God that this is a picture uh, of what Jesus does by His grace for the outsider. And you and I, when we understand grace, understand that we were outsiders. We were outsiders from God and His grace and were in darkness and in separation from Him. And again, going back to Job just briefly, what I was reading in Job, Job understood that when he, was sep when he felt separated from God. He explained it in these terms, darkness, despair, separation, darkness, 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 night. Outside, you know, on the outside. You know, this time of year, the lovely picture of being inside, the Christmas party, the New Year's party, the lights, the warmth, the fire, being there, being part of it. Being outside is in the darkness. And that's the picture that, uh, of our condition until we come to Jesus Christ. And the Samaritan is a picture of that. We come to recognize that we've been brought inside, into the family of God, and belong to Him. So, we're reminded today in this last section when he speaks about the Samaritan that we have no, in our thankful hearts, we can have no place for religious pride and snobbery, that we are any better than anybody else, that we in the church or we in our denomination or we in our nation are better than others. Grace simply doesn't allow that. Theological superiority, denominational pride, we have so much to learn from other people. We are not, as a denomination or as a congregation, God's chosen people. We belong to a chosen people that are from every nation and tongue and tribe and every part of the world and globe. And we need to beware, as Christ was speaking, of pharisaical, cultural insularity, insider talk as Christians, deciding who, us deciding who we think should accept Christ or not, judging those who we are to love and those who we choose to hate, who we will embrace and those that we will ostracize. 
It's such a, it's such a radical message, the gospel. Let's not tame it as we move into 2019. What a, such a great challenge. You've got so many privileges and blessings, and each of us, God has been so generous and so kind to us. Even in our darkest moments, He says, I will not leave you, and I will not abandon you. And let us be that gospel community, that people who have reflect as we do, and as we strive to do, and even when we fail to do, reflect a genuine understanding of grace through that spirit of thankful dependence, going back daily to Jesus and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you that I am saved by your grace. Thank you for all the people around me. Thank you for all who serve. Thank you for all the different gifts, and thank you for for being made well, for being rescued, and for a future, an unparalleled future that I can't even begin to imagine. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, help us to live for You and serve You and love You. Help us to see the amazing clarity of the message that Jesus brought. May we not be guilty, or we, we, I know I am anyway, of often uh, being thankless. Uh, help us to come to You and ask for forgiveness for that and to be people who go to you first uh, with thankful hearts before thinking of our relationships with others and our acceptance and belonging and identity in any other community or any other family context or even marriage, that we would see and understand uh, that you alone make us well, and to know that shalom of God in our hearts and that peace of Christ that passes all understanding. Help us to know that at the end of this year, and may we vow to go into a new year with a passion and a desire for you, and a thankfulness that is reflective of an understanding of grace that may be new and exciting and radical for us today. May that be the case. May we know we're accepted as we come that Jesus Christ has paid the price, that He has taken the cost and borne the, the wrath of sin and darkness and separation so much so that the symbol of that is given in the darkness of the cross. At noon, for three hours, the world is plunged into darkness as He takes on the sin that sets us free. Lord, we thank You for that today. Bless us, we pray, as we sing our parting song of thanks to God for Jesus' sake. Amen.